0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fisgetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. I have two parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our win over Legia Warsaw on Thursday... And in part 2, I'll preview our match against Hellas Verona on Sunday. So let's start with match day 4 in the group stage of the Europa League. We beat Legia Warsaw 4-1 on goals from Piotr Zielinski, Dries Mertens, Chucky Lozano, and Adam Unas. It was another rimonta after Mahir Emrelai opened the scoring only 10 minutes into the match. That turned out to be one of Legia's few chances in the match that was otherwise dominated by Napoli. We didn't equalize until early in the second half, but we were creating so many chances that you sensed that it was only a matter of time before we scored. Zielinski came close to scoring in the first half, but he hit the bar and Legion nearly doubled their lead in the first minute of the second half, but they hit the upright. Zielinski put in another strong performance and he was rewarded with another goal this time from the penalty spot we needed a couple of penalty kicks to get ahead but then the floodgates opened up after that Spalletti didn't have the deepest squad but once again he made the most of his substitutions and he got the most out of his players we'll cover all of that in this review and we'll revisit our three keys to the match but first let's review the starting lineups like lined up in a completely different formation than what i was expecting I was relying on the comments of their assistant coach Alessio De Petrillo, who said the extra classa is their absolute priority and that they would not force players recoveries. Now, perhaps that was a bit of gamesmanship because Legia started a much stronger side than what I was expecting. They did, however, shift a bunch of players around. Legia lined up in a 3-4-3 for this match as opposed to the 3-5-2 we saw from them last time we played. Cesare Mista started again in goal. Matius Vieteska started in the center of the back line with Artu Yedersaizic to his left and Matija Johansson to his right. Last time Vieteska played at left back, Yedersaizic played at right back and Johansson played at right wing back. Josue and Bartosz Slitz started in the center of the midfield. Filip Mladenovic started on the left side of the midfield and Yuri Ribeiro, who's actually listed as a left back, played on the right side of the midfield. Lukinas started on the left wing and Larim Kastrati played on the right wing. Lukinas played in the center of the midfield last time we played them. Finally, Mihir Emerlai started at striker. He was a player I highlighted in our preview of the first meeting played in Napoli and then he didn't end up playing. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti started the exact squad that we were expecting, lined up in a 4-2-3-1. Alex Meret started in goal, as he typically does in the Europa League. Kalidou Koulibaly and Amir Rachmani started at center-back. Juan Jesus started over the suspended Mario Rui at left-back. And Giovanni Di Lorenzo started again at right-back. Frank Zambo Gisa and Diego Demis started in the double pivot. Lorenzo Insigne didn't travel with the team, so Elif Elmas started on the left-wing. Chuki Lozano started on the right wing, and Piotr Zielinski started in his home country in the number 10. Finally, Andrea Petagna started over Victor Osimen, who also didn't travel with the club. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's revisit our three keys to the match. Our first key to the match was that we would have to play smart considering we had only five outfield players on the bench. I think we definitely achieved this one. As expected, we used all of our substitutions. In the 68th minute, Matteo Politano replaced Eli Felmas and Stanislav Lobotka replaced Diego Deme. In the 73rd minute, Dries Mertens replaced Piotr Zielinski. And in the 83rd minute, Alessandro Zanoli replaced Andrea Petania and Adam Unas replaced Chuki Lozano. Four of the five substitutes were involved in goals. Politano won the penalty that led to the second goal. That was a bit of a weird play. You could see on the replay that Josue actually kicked Politano in the forearm while attempting a bicycle kick to clear the ball. That wasn't the smartest thing to do, especially considering where he committed the foul. It's not like Politano was about to score from that position on the field. Of course, Mertens converted the penalty with a Panenka. You have to be very cool and very confident to even attempt a Panenka, let alone with the match still in the balance. Mertens executed it to perfection and then he celebrated by sucking his thumb. For those who missed it earlier this week, Dries and his wife Kat announced that they are expecting a baby boy and it seems like they've already decided that his name will be Chiro. Of course, Chiro is a Napolitan name and it's the nickname Napoli fans have given Mertens. Adam Una scored the fourth goal in his first game back from injury, which was great to see. His skill was on full display on this goal, first with the touch he made to receive the pass from Zanoli. Then he showed his skill and composure to play a sort of mini sombrero over the defender with his left and volley into the corner with his right. I love the way he celebrated after the goal as well. He was very cool about it. It was kind of like it was no big deal, but you could see that not only was Una's very happy, but his teammates both on and off the pitch We're happy for him too. We also did something in this match that I didn't mention in my preview, but that we did speak about when we had Armando on the podcast, and that's that our players conserved energy on the pitch, especially our central midfielders. The Europa League match reports don't provide the distance players run, but I thought Anguissa did a great job of conserving energy, which will certainly help for Sunday's match against Hellas Verona. My second key to the match was that we had to take advantage of our strengths, and there I was specifically referring to Andrea Petagna. This one's hard to judge because I think Petagna had an excellent match, but I don't necessarily think we played to his strengths. We used him in the build-up play, but we didn't ask him to hold the ball up too much, and we didn't play that many crosses into the area. Instead, we focused more on controlling the runoff play and keeping possession of the ball i thought our passing in this match was really impressive i tweeted about the passes that we completed on the lozano goal we scored this goal pretty much directly from the kick-in after the mertens goal legia played a few passes in their own half and then they tried a long ball that ended up with Medet. from that point we played 26 consecutive passes without a legia player touching the ball before Lozano tapped into the empty goal. The pass by Patania to Lozano was probably the nicest touch in the entire sequence, so you have to give him credit for that, because not too many strikers would have made that pass in that situation. The only Napoli player who didn't get a touch on the ball in the build-up was Juan Jesus, but that's okay. I actually thought he had a pretty strong performance. He made two really nice passes in this match. One was the long ball to Patania that he chested down to Elmas, and Elmas was stopped by Mista. That was actually an example of using Petagna to his strength. He's a big target up there. That pass was part of another really nice sequence of passes, and I don't think Pitania got enough praise for that play. When Ibrahimović made a pass like that to out earlier in the week, he got all sorts of praise, and then nobody was really talking about that play. The second really nice pass Jesus made was to Zielinski on the left wing, which led to another chance for Elmas, but his shot was blocked. So it was good to see Jesus have a good game. That's two good games in a row that he's played against Legia Warsaw. My final key to the match was that we needed to be tight at the back. Even though we conceded a goal, Legia had very few chances in the match. They hit the upright in the opening minute of the second half, but other than that, they didn't create a whole lot. I want to talk about the goal for a second which I thought was a combination of good play from Legia and poor defending from Napoli. First off, there were only 5 Legia players attacking against 7 or 8 Napoli players so you should never concede when you have such a numerical advantage. Now, the play started with a throw-in in our own half. Mladenovic, Lukinius, and Josue played a few quick passes before Josue picked out Mladenovic's run. That was the second issue. Di Lorenzo was marking Lukinius pretty tight, so Lozano should have followed the run, and it's because he didn't that Mladenovic got open on the wing. And Gisa chased him down, but Mladenovic made a lovely turn in the area before picking out Emreli. Rachmani played the pass thinking that he had Koulibaly behind him, but something all good strikers do is they show for the ball, and that's exactly what Emrali did here. He took a couple of steps backwards, which opened up the passing lane, and then the finish was quality as well, just out of Koulibaly's reach. But for me, the key to this goal was the late run by Castrati. Koulibaly was about to step up on Emrelai, but that run pulled Koulibaly away from the striker and opened up the shot. So I'm going to say that we achieved this one as well just because we allowed so few chances and we'll just have to tip our hats to Legia for nearly converting both of the chances they had. So we achieved all three of our keys to the match and we got a comfortable 4-1 victory. I want to address a couple more points before we close this review. We've talked quite a bit on the podcast about how great Spalletti has been at reading the game and getting his substitutions right. We saw that again in this match. The score was tied 1-1 when he started making changes, and we ended up scoring three more goals. And as I mentioned, four of those substitutes were involved in the goals. But one thing we haven't talked much about, but I think everyone probably recognizes is the flexibility of our players i think that's what really enables spalletti to make such effective changes i also think that's probably a big reason why spalletti said when he first started that he didn't need many players so long as the club didn't sell any players either in this match alone we saw numerous players play in multiple positions lozano started on the right wing and then when politano replaced elmas he moved over to the left wing Mertens replaced Zelensky to play in the number 10, and then when Petania came off 10 minutes later, Mertens moved up to the 9. That change facilitated a change in formation from the 4 2 3 1 to a 3 4 3, with Rachmani, Koulibaly, and Jesus playing as the three center backs, and Zanoli and Di Lorenzo playing as the wing backs. Zanoli was very impressive off the bench, and I would go so far as to say that he's our most promising young talent, even ahead of Antonio Trofi. Prior to this match, he'd played at fullback both in the summer and for a few minutes in the Udinese match, but lately we've seen him play as a wingback, first for a few minutes against Lernitana, which was really just to protect the lead, and then here where he was able to get forward a lot more. For those who watch the Primavera or perhaps listen to my Primavera match reviews, you might recall that Zanoli also played one match for the Primavera this season. Our Primavera coach Nicolo Frustalupi uses a 3-4-2-1 formation And in that match against Pescara, he started Zanoli on the left side of the four-man midfield. Zanoli played 74 minutes in that match, and though we lost 3-1, he played really well in that role. So as the season rolls on, I think Zanoli could play a more important role. Getting back to player flexibility, Adam Unes replaced Lozano to play on the left wing, but we know from his time at Crotone that he can also play on the right wing and even at striker. We also know from before he got hurt this season that he can play in the 10 as well. Beyond this match, we've seen a few others show that they can play multiple positions too. Elmes regularly switches between the 10 and the left wing, and he even played a little bit at right back against Spartak Moscow. Finally, we've seen Spalletti convert Fabian into a Regista after playing many seasons as an attacking midfielder. The last thing I want to talk about is the play of Piotr Zielinski. I thought he had another excellent match coming off what was probably his best match of the season against Lernitana. I'm sure he had some extra motivation playing in his home country of Poland, and I think the goal against Lernitana probably gave him a boost in confidence. He scored his second goal in as many matches after winning the penalty and taking it himself. Personally, I thought that was a bit of a soft decision. I think Zielinski and Josue were shoulder to shoulder and Zielinski went down a little easily. Then again, I think most penalty decisions these days are pretty soft. I'm certainly not complaining about getting a penalty. Zielinski's execution of the penalty was excellent. Just like Insigne's penalties against Bologna, if you pick a corner and hit the ball hard, it's next to impossible to stop. Mista guessed correctly and even got a hand on the ball, but with that much power behind the shot, he still could not keep it out. Spalletti has made it quite clear that if Insigne is on the pitch, he will take the penalties, but it is great to know that we have another option if need be. When Insigne was struggling with his penalties, Zielinski was one of the players that a lot of our fans wanted to try out, and he showed everyone why. Of course, Zielinski nearly scored in the first half, but his shot crashed off the bar. That shot was similar to the penalty in the sense that it was pretty much straight at the keeper, which the penalty wasn't, but it was hit with so much power that Mista simply could not react quickly enough. Finally, I thought he played a couple of gorgeous through balls to Patania with the outside of his right boot. Patania's is obviously not the quickest player, but if Zielinski does that with Osiman on the pitch, he'll probably collect a few more assists as well. So great stuff from Zielinski. We've had a great start to the season with Zielinski not playing his best, so if he starts heating up, we could be even better, which is a scary thought. With the win, and with Leicester City dropping points to Spartak, we are now top of the table in Group C with 7 points. Only 4 points separate 1st from 4th in the group. Legia are in 2nd on 6 points, Leicester are in 3rd on 5 points, and Spartak are bottom of the table on 4 points. We now control our own destiny. If we beat Spartak, we'd guarantee that we advance from the group stage, and that Spartak would be out of the Europa League. If we win and Legia and Leicester draw, we'd also guarantee ourselves top of the group, which is really important because the second place teams have to play a playoff match against the teams that finish third in their respective groups in the Champions League. If that match between Legia and Leicester does not result in a draw, then the winner of the group will be determined on the final day of the group stage. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll preview our match against Hellas Verona on Sunday. Welcome to part 2 of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's preview our match against Hellas Verona on Sunday. Hellas come into this match sitting 9th in the table, which is not what many people expected with Ivan Juric leaving the club to join Torino in the summer. I certainly thought they would finish somewhere near the bottom of the table. Early in the season, it looked like that's where they were heading. Hellas lost their first three matches of the season against Sassuolo, Inter, and Bologna. Now, usually I'm not a big proponent of sacking a manager so early in the season, but in this case, it proved to be the absolute correct decision. After losing to Bologna, the club announced that Eusebio Di Francesco and his entire technical staff had been relieved of their responsibilities with the club. They also announced the appointment of Igor Tudor as his replacement with immediate effect. Tudor began his coaching career in 2009 working as an assistant to former Napoli boss Eddie Rea at Hajduk Split. Last season, he worked as an assistant to Andrea Pirlo at Juventus, who he spent six seasons with as a player since taking over Hellas Verona have been one of the best teams in Serie A with a record of four wins three draws and only one loss only Napoli Milan and Inter have had better records since then and it's not as if they've had an easy schedule they played against Roma Milan Lazio and Juventus during that stretch and managed to collect nine out of a possible 12 points in those matches so Hellas are certainly capable of beating top teams Their problem so far this season is that they're also dropping points to teams like Salernitana, Genoa, and Udinese. Tudor has taken Hellas back to where they were under Ivan Juric, but he's done so using a completely different approach. Hellas had one of the best defensive records under Juric, but when you focus so much on not conceding, it's also very difficult to score goals. Now Hellas play a much more positive brand of football and as a result, they're also very entertaining to watch. They've scored 21 goals since match day 4, which is more than any other team in Serie a. But, just like Juric's team's focus on defending resulted in fewer goals, Tudor's focus on attacking has resulted in more goals conceded. I'll come back to that when we get to our 3 keys to the match. For Napoli, this could be one of the most potent attacks that we've played against so far this season, and we'll have to do it without the best center back in the league. While the players will be focused squarely on this match, for a lot of fans, this will be an opportunity for retribution. Of course, we dropped points to Hellas Verona in the final match of last season, and as a result, not only did we fail to qualify for the Champions League, but we also allowed our most hated rival to qualify in the process. This is a different Napoli squad though. They've shown time and time again that they are mentally much stronger this season than they were last season. And though we've had some niggling injuries to deal with of late, we should have a pretty strong squad available for this match. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Hellas will line up in a 3-4-2-1 with Lorenzo Montipo in goal. He's been in fine form lately after conceding 17 goals through his first 8 matches. He's only conceded 3 goals in his last 3 and he's made some really big saves in the process. Tudor's preferred back 3 appears to be Corey Gunter on the left, Nicolo Casale in the middle and Pavel Davidovic on the right but he also has Federico Ceccherini and Gian Giacomo Magnani at his disposal. Miguel Veloso seems to have won one of the two central midfield roles, with Ivan Ilich dealing with an ankle injury. Ilich is getting close to return, but he seems like he won't be available for this match. I think Adrian Temez will start alongside Veloso, with Martin Hongla and Daniel Bessa providing options off the bench. Darko Lazovic will likely start on the left side of the midfield, and Davide Faraoni will start on the right side of the midfield. And then, the way they're playing at the moment, I think the front three is pretty much set in stone. Gianluca Caprari and Antonin Barak will start as the two trequartisti, and Giovanni Simeone will start up top. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti will line up in his usual 4 2 3 1 formation with Davido Spina in goal. Centre back will be our weakest position. As I mentioned, Koulibaly is suspended for the red card he picked up against Salernitana. We were hoping that Costas Manolas would recover in time for this match, but he does not appear fit to play. He was still doing custom work and training on Saturday. That means Juan Jesus will start in place of Koulibaly at center left and Amir Rakmani will start at center right. Mario Rui will be fresh and ready to go at left back after not playing in the Europa League midweek due to suspension. And Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start again at right back. He's been an iron man once again this season. He's played every minute of every match both in Serie A and in the Europa League which is actually very concerning to me. Fabian Ruiz completed the full group training on Friday, so he should be fit to start in the double pivot alongside Frank Zambo Anguisa. I think it's quite possible that Diego Demis starts over Anguisa because Anguisa is on four yellow cards. That means if he picks up a yellow in this match, he would be suspended for the Inter game. Lorenzo Insigne also completed the full group training on Friday, so expect him to start on the left wing. Matteo Politano started on the bench against Legia, so I think he will start on the right wing. And as we talked about in part one, Piotr Zielinski has been in fine form over the last two matches, so I think he will start again in the number 10. Finally, Victor Osman also completed the full group training on Friday, so he should get the start at striker. So those were our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is we have to stop Giovanni Simeone. I mentioned the amount of goals Verona have scored since Tudor took over. Simeone has been leading the charge scoring 8 goals and assisting 3 more during that stretch. That included a poker against Lazio and a doppietta against Juventus. He is a true number 9. He can score in a variety of ways with his feet, with his head, from close range and from long range. He scored an absolute rocket into the top corner against Lazio, and then he scored a gorgeous tirajiro against Juve. He actually scored two goals like that against Juve, but one of them was disallowed because there was a foul on the play. With Koulibaly not playing, I suspect it will be Amir Rachmani's responsibility to mark Simeone, and I think he can handle that. What worries me, though, is that Hellas have a few more attacking threats beyond Simeone, namely Antonin Barak and Gianluca Caprari. More often than not, Caprari is the one assisting Simeone on his goals. He loves to play the diagonal ball on the ground to Simeone, so that's something to look out for, and he scored a few goals himself. Barak has already scored four goals on the season. The way he plays reminds me a lot of Marek Hamsik. He's a big body, so he's a threat in the air, but he also has a great touch and he can shoot from distance. In addition to those players, we have to worry about the likes of Faraoni on the wing. He's both a threat to score and to cross the ball into the area, so Mario Rui will have his hands full. And then there's Nikola Kalinic, who provides an attacking threat off the bench. Now, one of the reasons Hellas Verona has been so lethal in the attack is because of their high press, and that's our second key to the match we need to be able to beat that high press. The first goal they scored against Juventus was a direct result of the press. First, they forced Dybala to turn the ball over inside Juve's half. Then Tamez and Faraoni pounced on a loose ball before Artur could get there and before you knew it, the ball was in the back of the goal. This is another big concern for me with Koulibaly not available. He plays such an important role in the build-up and with all due respect to Legia, we haven't seen Juan Jesus play against any real competition. For this reason, I think regardless of who starts in the midfield, our midfield will be very important in this match in terms of getting past that first line. What we'll want to avoid is trying to be too clever with our passing at the back. If there isn't an option there, just boot the ball out and try to win possession back further up the pitch. This hasn't been much of an issue for us this season though. According to OptaPaolo, Napoli begin their open play sequences 46.4 meters from their own goal, with PSV being the only team to start their sequences further from the goal at 46.5 meters. This also brings us to our third key to the match, which is to take advantage of the space that Hellas give us. I mentioned earlier that with Hellas getting forward more this season than they have in the past, they also tend to expose themselves at the back. That's partly because of that high press. It'll either stretch them out, or if they want to remain compact, they'll have to play a high line. In either case, they expose themselves to what is a very potent Napoli attack. If they stretch themselves, all we need to do is break through that first line, and then we'll have the entire midfield to push forward. If they play a high line, then the long ball to Victor over the top will be on, and we all know how lethal he can be in the open field. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a high-scoring affair and give Napoli a 4-2 victory. I'll give Victor Osman a brace and the other goals to Lorenzo Insigne and Chucky Lozano off the bench. For Verona, I'll give the goals to Simeone and Barak. I think this will be the first match of the season where we concede more than one goal, both because Verona have such a strong attack and because we'll be without Koulibaly. But I think at the end of the day, we'll get the victory. In addition to wanting to get retribution for the final match of last season, Napoli will have a few additional sources of motivation. First, the Ultras will be back in the Curva A, The reports are that the club has agreed to not fine them for not sitting in their assigned seats, so long as they don't block the emergency exits. Anyone who's spoken to me about this privately knows my views on this and the ultras as a whole, but I know a lot of fans are happy that we'll have a more typical atmosphere at the Maradona. The last I read on this was that the club was still negotiating with the Curva B and that they could possibly return as well. There are also rumors that the club is working on plans with the city to create a fan zone, which seems like a good compromise. Fan zones typically don't have seats, so the issue of assigned seating would go away, but the club might still be able to maintain some semblance of control. Another source of motivation is that the club will be wearing another new kit for this match. If you haven't seen it, the club has produced a commemorative Maradona kit that will be distributed in three colors. The kit features Maradona's face inside what you would assume is Maradona's fingerprint, and it will be worn for three matches in November to honor the Napoli great during the month of his passing. Personally, I think we're getting a little overboard with the number of kits we're producing. If you include the Halloween kit, we could theoretically field 11 players all wearing a different kit. I would have preferred a commemorative patch, but obviously that wouldn't bring in as much revenue. What I do like, though, is that a portion of the proceeds from the sale of these shirts will go towards charitable social initiatives. So hopefully between the louder fans and Diego on the shirt will have the extra motivation needed to collect all three points and go into the international break still at the top of the table. That will do for this preview. I hope you enjoyed the match. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore 5 Or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I'll be back next week to review this match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre! Podcast Network.